What you are about to hear is a labor of love, our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rock Strikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, I've got a lot to talk about on this episode. We're going to do something that I've been planning on doing for a long time now. But before I start talking too much, let's go ahead and get into the first song that I'm going to play on this show. And I think you'll be able to figure out where this is going. Uh, It was October 27th, 1988. I believe it was a Thursday evening, if I'm not mistaken, in Abilene, Texas, at the Taylor County Coliseum, what it was known at the time. I believe now it's the Taylor County Expo Center. Uh, But yeah, on that fateful night, uh, it was the very first concert I ever attended. And I'll get into more details about that once we get back from this first song. So uh, yeah. Here is the first ever band I heard live, and this was the first ever song that I heard live, and it was loud as hell, I'll tell you. And, like, when you hear the intro to this, imagine this being played at, like, 120 decibels or whatever. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was real loud. I was eight years old. So, here you go. A song by Britney Fox called Rock Revolution. Turn it up.
kicking off this episode in fine form there. That was Rock Revolution by Brittany Fox. That was the first band I ever heard play live. Uh, the reason being is because they were the opening act for the first proper concert I ever saw. But I always say those were the first stiffs I ever saw on stage. And I mean that with much respect. So uh, as I mentioned before that song, October 27th, 1988, my first ever concert. And Brittany Fox was the opening band uh, for this show right here. And, you know, much to my mom's chagrin, I became a hardcore music fan. Now, like, I always joke that I had the mom from Detroit Rock City. It wasn't that bad. Uh, she didn't threaten to send me off to, you know, like a private church school if I uh, didn't stop listening to rock and roll. It wasn't that bad. She, I wouldn't say also supported it either, but she didn't censor it or she didn't do it too much. There were some instances where I had to take a few records back, but, you know, whatever. I... I probably had a good compared to a lot of other kids. And, uh, you know, she was under a lot of stress. She was raising us by herself, me and my sister. So uh, anyway, uh, so man, living in Abilene, Texas, growing up there, and we had moved there right about the time I started elementary school. So yeah, this is going to be about me. So as you can probably decipher here, I'm going to do uh, my history and concerts right here. And I'm eventually going to do everything. Uh, This is... I'm not going to do them all in a row, of course, because I feel like I'd have to start an entirely different podcast here. But, you know, I'll do them in spurts, you know, two and three parters here and there. I plan on doing uh, the first two parts right here in a row. So anyway, back to the story here. Living in Abilene, Texas, not a lot of bands came to see us. It's just one of those towns. I guess if I'm being nice, it's a secondary market. Maybe not even that. But, you know, it was a thing. Bands played there very sporadically. I remember hearing stories about KISS coming there, at least uh, on some of their later tours in the late 70s, I believe. And KISS actually did come back to Abilene a handful of times during the 80s, which during those times, uh, either was not living there at the time or we had just moved out there, actually. I remember hearing ads on the radio for KISS coming to town on the Asylum tour. And, you know, I was just too young to go. I was like five or six years old, even though I wanted to go. I was just too young and I I didn't get to go to it. Uh, So, like, KISS came to see us a couple of times in the 80s in Abilene. Uh, But, yeah, there weren't really a lot of shows. All the biggest bands out there at the time did not come to see us. Uh, that changed uh, for me, even though I thought it was old enough to go to a show. My mom, not so much. But I was eight years old, and the only thing that mattered to me at all in 1988 was going to see this Poison show that was coming to Abilene. Since nobody came to see us, and if they did, we got like one band a year. You might know about that kind of town. You might live in that town, or not even at all. Maybe you don't get shows at all, but you may know what I'm talking about here. I had to go to this show. It was the number one priority. Nothing else would do. Uh, I was willing to do anything, any kind of chore, whatever, to make up for the ticket price. I guess uh, my mom bought two tickets thinking that my dad would take me, which he did eventually. But, you know, I believe the tickets were probably about $14, $15, something like that, if I had to, maybe 17 at the most. I remember I just don't have the stubs anymore, sadly. But uh, yeah, we went to some place in the mall. It was like like a Claire's or a Journey's or something like that. Some, some place in the mall that had a ticket outlet. Got the tickets, and I couldn't believe it. I was so excited when I got home. Couldn't wait. I think we were just a few weeks out from the show actually happening. And uh, man, it was the thing. When it came to town, uh, not even kidding, it made the local news in our town I'm talking 6 o'clock news every day that week because I guess they had a few days off and they were spending time in the city. Uh, Rumors of where they were, where they ate. This was nightly news action right here. Poison was here. They're one of the biggest bands on MTV right now 
and are going to play our little ass town. So man, I was excited. I was even taking piano lessons and guitar lessons at the time from two different teachers. My piano teacher was really old strict guy and he like found out i was going to the show and he was just being weird about it anyway <laughs> but man yeah i was uh, and, and so here's the rub right here i get to the show and that like i said the first song i heard right there rock revolution and i quite enjoyed britney fox even though i hadn't become very acclimated to them yet they were literally like a brand new thing on mtv probably about two weeks before the show they started showing up on MTV with Long Way to Love and then eventually Girls School. And so I feel like they were just here like that day. Like it was like an overnight sensation kind of thing. So I wasn't that familiar with them even though I eventually would own the cassette by the end of the year. Because I liked them enough at that point just seeing them live. And I, I felt like a Bond there because, you know, like I said, first band I really actually heard live. So we get to the Poison show. And like I said, it was a Thursday night. It was a school night. Uh, school was in session, man, and so I guess there was a conversation between my mom and my dad who weren't getting along at that time. We never really got along, uh, especially my dad. He was barely there, but he would take me to the show because, you know, it was a reason for him to go out and drink or whatever, probably pick up girls. Uh, so, like, I kind of went off to the side on my own, like, on this seat in the same row, and I was trying to get a better view because other people were standing and stuff like that, so, but I was just having a blast. Uh, unfortunately, there is a, a sad ending to this tale, and even though I was really enjoying the Poison set, there'll be a little bit more to this story when we come back here. For now, I'm going to play you a song that I definitely remember being played at the show. Uh, so here's uh, some live audio from Poison. I don't have anything from the actual Open Up and Say Ah uh, tour. Unfortunately, I do not, but uh, I got this off of the Swallow This Live, so the audio is from the Flesh and Blood tour. Uh, but a song I definitely remember being played at that show, probably the second song that they played that night. They opened up with Look What the Cat Dragged In, as they probably have done every show ever. Uh, but th this one I remember because... It was one of those things where you don't realize that they do this probably in every town, but uh, you know they, they personalized some lyrics to our town here. So here you go. This is a live track by Poison from the Open Up and Say Ah record originally. The song is Love on the Rocks. Swallow this. Oh, I didn't hear that. 
Poison with a live version of Love on the Rocks. That audio is from the Swallow This Live record. And, you know, I gotta say, so, this, this, is, this is really painful right here for me to talk about. So, like I said, it was a school night, and I guess my mom put her foot down. I have him home by a certain time. And, yeah, so, I only got to see, like, about maybe three quarters of the show, maybe half, something like that. Uh, so yeah, very sad. Uh, I didn't get to see the whole show. I basically was uh, dragged out of there uh, during the drum solo, during Ricky Rocket's drum solo. Very sad. I didn't get to see the whole show. I remember reading about it in the paper the next day that the encore was something to the effect of talk dirty to me and their cover of Kisses Rock and Roll All Night. I was pretty devastated. But, you know, of course, the next day at school, you know, I was, like, real popular for, like, one day because I was the only kid in my class that went to that show. It was a big deal. So uh, from then on out, I wanted more. And also, I think the other reason, I'll probably mention this on future episodes of this particular series, but that probably is one of the other reasons, and I do like Poison, but it's probably one of the uh, embedded reasons in my brain why I keep going back to see him, just trying to make up for the fact that I didn't get to see him uh, do a full show the first time around. Like, kind of trying to chase that feeling or that moment or something. I don't know. But I do remember it was a hell of a show. They had these giant green slides they slid down. If you can find some handheld bootleg footage of this on YouTube. I saw some recently. But, yeah, they, they literally all, like, Ricky, Bobby, and Cece all slid down these huge green slides when the show started. It was crazy. And, uh, like I said, it was that cheap pop thing. But during Love on the Rocks at my show... Uh, he said we did the Abilene bop right between the sheets. And I think y'all know how to do that or something like that. And I was like, yeah. You know, 
yeah, stupid stuff, uh, local references, real easy way to get a pop from the crowd, but, uh, you know, I totally ate it up. I didn't even really know what that meant, but I think I had an idea it was definitely a sexual thing. <laughs> uh, and of course, of course, the first time I smelled weed anywhere, uh, so had an idea that that's what it was, but I wasn't quite sure until a few years later. But yeah, that's my memory of my first ever concert that I attended. So as I do this uh, ongoing series here, I'm actually going in chronological order. Let me tell you the painstaking detail that I put into this. Uh, a lot of work went into getting this in order. I definitely want to thank the setlist.fm website for really uh, helping me figure this out and figure what the actual order is. I mean, I, I pretty much had an idea of what my first 10 shows were but you know i just wanted to be sure so i could do this proper so moving on to the next show here and basically from you know these first couple of episodes i know that uh since i'm not going to be anywhere remotely near driving age uh, my mom's going to factor into a lot of these for sure not going to lie about any of it i was that kid whose mom was in the station wagon outside the show praying for his soul and all that kind of stuff so all right anyway uh, this one with a little bit of an exception, this next one here. And this was as cool as my first show was, even though I didn't get to see the whole thing. Uh, it does not even compare to my second show. This was the one that really kicked it off and really changed my life. So this one has a bit of a long story. Like I said, I'm going to talk a lot on these episodes. So if you like the talking episodes, then, then good for you. I'm, I'm very happy. And I won't disappoint you on this one, I'm pretty sure. So second ever show. Uh, for these, I have a lot of dates here. Uh, but this one I do not have to look up on the phone. I never forgot this date. It was May 5th, 1990. And the whole day was just weird. So we moved away from Abilene. I had just turned 11 years old. And uh, we were living uh, up in the same area, basically, where I live now. We moved to Hearst, Texas, officially, which is just outside of Arlington, Texas, Fort Worth, and Dallas. It's a suburb of all those things. So, man, I'll tell you, it was not a hard sell to get me to move. First of all, my parents going through a divorce, yada, yada. And, you know, it's a pretty easy sell to someone uh, of preteen age saying, hey, how would you like to live near Six Flags Over Texas? And that's kind of what my mom used to sell on me. So I was sold. But also I knew since we were going to be in a suburb of Dallas, I knew, hey, I always see Dallas, Texas on a lot of these tour dates. It's on. That's all I could think of in the back of my mind. I'm going to get to see a lot of concerts now. And the older I get, the more I'm going to get to go see. So I was like, sold. Done. Let's let's do it. I couldn't pack fast enough. Uh, you know, of course, the, the general thing. It hurts saying goodbye to friends and things like that. But, you know, you, you move on. You Eventually, you get over it. And I did. Uh, so, yeah, second show ever, May 5th, 1990. It started off uh, innocently. I wasn't actually going to go to the show uh i wanted to go to the show but i just didn't think there was any kind of reality based in it i think i had asked to go and my mom was like no and or we can't afford it we're living in an apartment now as opposed to a house so we just can't afford it so what happened was as a compromise i asked her hey mom i really like this band slaughter i promise you they're not satan worshipers that's just his last name imagine that conversation okay some of you may have had that conversation. So I was like, hey, Slaughter is doing a record signing at this place called Sound Warehouse over in Irving. I didn't know where it was, but as it turns out, eh, it was about, you know, 10, 15 minute drive. So she was like, fine, 
get your friends that want to go. I had two other friends that wanted to go to this, and uh, we'll go to the signing, you know, get your record signed, and, you know, that'd be great. You know, you don't get to go to the show, but at least you get to meet this band. And I'd never been to an in-store before, so I was excited. Also, I didn't know what to expect. So, once again, somehow, it was a Saturday afternoon, and I convinced her to take me to this thing, even though I'm sure it's the last thing she wanted to do. I'm sure it was, but, you know, good for you, Ma. Thanks, Ma. So what happened was we're standing in this line and just like we are the only 11 year old, 12 year old kids, whatever in this line. And it's, you know, it's a bunch of headbangers, man. It's a bunch of, you know, girls dressed up with their hair teased of the moon, you know, all those kind of things, groupies and then like dudes in leather jackets, you know, even though it's like May in Texas and standing outside this thing and you can hear the music playing and there's commotion inside, but we're not in the door yet. So we're not in. So this goes on for, you know, you know, at least another hour or so. And I think even I, at one point, my mom even like checked on us to be like, are you inside? Yet? Like, no, no. You know, can we, we got to stay though. Please let us stay. They're about to let us in. So what happened was they're literally cutting off the line to go see Slaughter, like pretty much where we're standing. We're like right in front of the cutoff. And we even said, please let us in. They said, no, no one else is going in. They got to get out to the show to do a sound check and blah, blah, blah. Which I'm sure was true because, you know, it was like middle of the afternoon at this point and they probably got to be on about 7, 7.30. And, you know, it's going to be at least another half hour, 45 minute drive to get to the place. Anyway, so they cut off the line and we're bummed. But they go, hey, everybody that's, uh, you know, not in line, stay here. And we'll try to see if we can hook you up with some prizes from the radio station. You know, we're the Eagle from Dallas, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of hung out in line. I didn't go back to the car because I'm like, hey, there's a chance to win some free shit. I'm going to stand right here. So uh, after a couple of questions, all of a sudden, guy was like, hey, we've got two free tickets to this show tonight for Kiss, Faster Pussycat, and Slaughter. So if anybody can tell me, the first person that can answer this question, uh, raise your hand and yell out the answer. And it was something really easy. What time does the morning show start? And I yelled out six. And I kept saying it, probably sounding like a possessed person going, six, six, six. And the guy just put his arm down and put the tickets in my hand. And I yelled really loud, ran to the car and be like, mom, I just won free tickets. I'm going to the kiss show tonight. And I didn't even think about the fact that I did not phrase that properly at all. So she's like, are you, are you really? And I was like, I just won free tickets and this is my favorite band and I really want to go. And so, you know, I was like, can, can you take us? Like, you know, one of one of these two guys, I had to pick one. Uh, basically, it didn't pan out, like, in the sense of one of the other friends that I was going to go with, potentially, their parents were like, no, not at all. So I kind of realized I was in a situation where at least my mom was willing to negotiate something. So here's what we came up with. So my mom took me to my first KISS show. So our free tickets got us, like, it's basically a shed, uh, the Starplex Amphitheater out in Dallas. Now, I still call it Starplex. Everybody that lives here still calls it the Starplex. But uh, right now, I think it's, uh, I don't even fucking know, the Dos Equis Pavilion or something like that. Something stupid like that. So, yeah, we get to the show. And, of course, you know, my mom is so not in her element. I'm a kid in a candy store, but I'm also like kind of excited and scared because it's like an outdoor show and it's a kiss show and I'm just excited as hell. I've been into kiss for about five years at this point. I became a fan in 1985. So here's what wound up happening. And this is ridiculous. So our tickets got us into the seated part of the shed, not on the lawn, thankfully, or else that probably would have been a deal breaker. We probably would have had to go home like way early. But 
So we got basically into the back row of the seats. They call them the twilight seats over there. So it's not even covered. So if it rains, we're kind of screwed actually. Uh, but thankfully it did not rain that night. But uh, here's what my mom agreed to let me do. <laughs> so she brought, uh, she was really into these uh, Civil War novels at the time. These big bad mothers, man. I forget the name of the author, but I know they're still in her house. And every time I see him, I think of this story. So... This idea, she's going to sit in the back of this row, sit down with a book, and read it the whole time. She's not even going to watch the show. She's not even going to pretend to enjoy this show with me. That's fine. I don't care. I'm at the show. So I want to move up. And I don't have a concept of, hey, this is our assigned seat. These are our tickets. I'm basically like, I can't see because I'm 11. And I was like, but mom, can we move up? And she's not going to move up. But she told me that I could. But the deal was, you stay on in this section, and if you find a seat then stay in that first seat. So if I walk down the row, I can find you. Now, anything I said about her being, you know, judgmental and not supportive of my fandom here, I gotta say, she gave me a lot of leeway this evening. There's a little bit of a rub, though, coming up. So let's uh, let's get to the music. Back to music. I've been talking for a long time. Uh, so let's get into this right here. Uh, so we were stuck in traffic, and not only did I miss Slaughter at the autograph session, I missed their entire set that evening. So I never got to see Slaughter in 1990, like, you know, at their peak of commercial greatness right there. I did see him years later, but I'll talk about that on a future show. So I'm not going to play anything by Slaughter, but thankfully I was in time to see The Middle Act, which was a band I had already gotten into via a cassette copy of their first album and getting to hear their second one, which was real red hot at the time, Faster Pussycat. So they're here on their Wake Me When It's Over tour, opening for Kiss on the first leg of the Hot in the Shade tour. So this is very exciting. So the third band I ever got to see live was this band right here, Faster Pussycat. This is Babylon. Go for a laser 
right, there you go. There's a song. The first time I heard that on the radio was actually back in Abilene on an AM station called Key Rock. Longtime friends of the show has heard me talk about this radio station before, but I remember specifically listening to that with my friends. We bowled over laughing our asses off uh, with the pussy scratching at the very beginning of that. But uh, So, yeah, I'm always going to love that song. So that was their little rap rock takeoff there. Babylon, Faster Pussycat, off of their first self-titled album there. Like I said, they were there that night opening for Kiss, supporting the Wake Me When It's Over record. And they remember I remember they played a lot of material off that. I specifically remember hearing When There's a Whip, There's a Way, and Slip of the Tongue, Poison Ivy, of course. And I think they did play Pain because it was a big radio song at the time and i remember hearing like cat house babylon was the closer and tammy even got into it with a heckler during that song the last song there i remember he was wearing like a flavor flave watch you know just for the bit and sunglasses and stuff like that and there was a guy that was flipping him off like the entire set i still remember seeing this guy i had a close enough view now to where i could see this kind of action so this guy's flipping him off the whole time and during babylon during the second uh, line of the first verse he says boy you deserve it and your girlfriend sucks my dick <laughs> right to that guy uh that was that was good times okay so uh the other cool thing about this show and of course i'm getting to the the headline here the main event is i got real lucky so there was uh you know an empty seat almost right the very beginning like the front of that section where i had a really good view like an elevated view of the entire stage now and you know, I found this, uh, there was like probably about two or three seats, you know, coming to find out later. It wasn't like the most successfully attended KISS tour ever. Did pretty good. Uh, but, you know, in this shed that can hold like 20,000 people, you know, probably about half were there that night, if that. So, you know, there were some empty seats in some of these areas. So, you know, I didn't know that kind of business then. But uh, the cool thing is I found this empty seat. And the cool thing is there was like a row of like four people behind me. And they were just like really fun party people. They were just there having a good time. They weren't like overtly drunk or overly obnoxious. They were this these like 20 year olds. And they were apparently, they really took to me. Like here's this little kid that's really into Kiss. And so they were even like, dude, if you want to stand on the seat, then do it. You know, like have a good time. And I was like, really? And so I did. I like stood on the seat like most of the show. Like crazy, ridiculous. But uh, so yeah, so Kiss come out and they're just... It's crazy. Any fans of this band know that the Hot in the Shade tour is a real watershed tour for them. The album didn't do great. It did okay. But the tour is really heralded. The set list is ridiculous. I think it's the longest set they ever played ever on any tour. Uh, Maybe as much as Revenge as far as length goes. But I think they would play at least two, two and a half hours like every night. Ridiculous. So, and here's the the other funny thing. I knew most of the songs, but I didn't recognize all of them. I just started borrowing a VHS copy of Phantom of the Park from this kid that had it in my neighborhood. So I didn't actually even know the name of the first song they played, but I recognized it from Phantom of the Park. And that was the one that they opened up with, which was uh, I Stole Your Love. And to this day, uh, you know, not that it's not this really killer kick-ass song but it's the first song i ever heard kiss play live so i'm always going to have a massive massive soft spot for i stole your love and uh, if you know anything about the tour they do that and go slamming right into deuce so i really couldn't pick the proper song to represent you know me seeing my first ever kiss show so we're gonna do it up huge here 
I actually have some decent audio. You can probably tell if you're a fan where this is from, but uh, I got it from uh, Certain Means, which is not commercially available, sorry. But I really just wanted to document this show properly right here. So this is actual live audio from the Hot in the Shade tour from 1990 from KISS. I'm gonna play you those first two songs right now. So here's live versions of I Stole Your Love and Deuce. Check it out.
right, there you go. That was Kiss with the Hot in the Shade lineup from the Hot in the Shade tour. Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and Eric Carr right there. So not only did I start being a Kiss fan and got indoctrinated into them around 1985, uh, that was the same lineup that I saw live. So always going to have a massive soft spot. Probably my overall favorite Kiss lineup if I had to pick one. I don't know. But, you know, I, I love it all. I love it all. So, yeah. Got to see the Hot in the Shade tour. I'm going to brag about it a lot. And so here's the final part of the Kiss story. So when we last left me <laughs> at the show, Mom's in the very back of the seats reading a book. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you do that in the dark. But, oh, well, I guess there was enough light somewhere that she was able to do that. Uh, you know, I would kind of like to go back to see if she actually watched any part of the show at all. Not sure, you know, so. But uh, here's the thing, so. I guess at some point, it got to be just a little too late for her, and she had had enough. So at one point, you know, I'm rocking out, standing on the seats, which, by the way, I, I don't think I was being too much of a dick, because I was going to go through my growth spurt later that year, as far as height goes. So I don't think I was really blocking anybody's view so much, at least as far as I could tell. Nobody bothered me. So, yeah, I get the tug on my arm. It's time to go, Joey. And I begged her to stay. Like, like it can't go on this much longer. It probably had maybe another 45 minutes at least left of show. And, yeah, it was during Forever, and uh, a song that even my mom likes. And, you know, it was time to go. I, I don't know why. It was a Saturday night. It's not like we were going to church that often, but I guess we probably did the next day. We fell off pretty quickly after that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I uh, walk of shame. Walking out of there with my mom. And she drags me out of there during forever. And in the background, I can hear them getting into God of Thunder. And I was like, oh, man. Which is another song that I recognized from the Phantom of the Park video. I wasn't too familiar with it at the time, but I definitely did recognize it as that song. So yeah, I didn't get to see the Sphinx talk, quote-unquote. And uh, I never got to see Eric Carr's drum solo. Yeah, that's a regret I'll have to live with for the rest of my life. Should have just said, yeah, just please stay with me. Stand here. Watch a show with me. I don't know. I just, uh, I couldn't win in that scenario. But I got to see three quarters of the Hot in the Shade tour. Kiss. So there you go. I'm going to move on because I'm just going to keep babbling and repeating myself and and, and uh, have to deal with this tragedy. So let's get over to the next show that I attended. All right. So like I said, that show, the Kiss concert was on May 5th, 1990. It would be a whole year and change till I got to go to my next concert. And this took place on Monday, July 8th, 1991. If you go look on the setlist.fm site, it actually has a listing for them playing on July 9th as well, but I don't believe they did two nights in Dallas, so that's an inaccurate listing. Uh, not that they couldn't have, because by God, that is... I've, I've been to so many shows, and, and this is once again at the Coca-Cola Starplex in Dallas, Texas, and I've been to so many of these shows at, at Starplex, so you're going to hear about this venue a lot as we uh, go through my concert chronology here, but... uh yeah, they could have done two nights there. The demand for Guns N' Roses was so huge. They were the biggest band in the world at the time. And I've never seen Starplex that packed. You could not fit another person there with a shoehorn, to quote Paul Stanley right there. I mean, man, the lawn was just full of people. And of course, all the seats were sold out. This was a legitimate sellout. It had to be over 20,000 people there. I, I talked to someone who worked at that venue that was there for that show, and they were like, I've never seen a show like that in my life. It was chaos. It was insane. So let's rewind just a little bit back to before the show. So this was another case of, once again, I didn't have anybody to go to the show with. 
My sister wasn't even remotely a fan and could not be coerced into taking me or at least accompanying me to this thing. And so this one, my mom definitely didn't want to sit it out <laughs> somewhere. In the, and in this case, I actually bought a lawn ticket, but we'll get to that in a second. So my mom wasn't going to go. And here's the thing. She already knew about Guns N' Roses. That's how huge Guns N' Roses were, is that they were on the news quite a bit. And she hated the way they looked. She had seen them on the American Music Awards, drunk and cursing, uh, during that live telecast. That infamous appearance there by Slash and Duff. Oh man, remember that one. So yeah, she hated the fact that I loved Guns N' Roses. And once again, I don't know how she let me go to this, but she did. And this was going to be a case of mom's going to drive me out there and she's going to sit in the parking lot in her station wagon. And... Yeah, that was the deal. So I was going to go to this thing, and I am 12 years old at the time. Yes, 12 years old. This, this could probably never happen nowadays. Uh, it shouldn't have happened then, to be quite honest with you, but I'm glad it did. So I walk in there, and uh, it's I just got real lucky. So if you've been to any kind of shed, you know that there's like the lawn separating the seats, and there's a little walkway between the lawn and the seats usually. So I'm just kind of walking. I'm just like, where do I go? And then like the first venue worker that I asked, like security slash ticket looker, the first person I asked was this like lady. She's like a Hawaiian lady or something like that. And, you know, didn't seem like the average, you know, big beefy dude security guy. So she was like, are you here by yourself? I'm like, yeah, my mom's outside. And she's like, oh, tell you what, why don't you just come hang over here? So... I basically had a babysitter. I, I think I even told my mom this. I basically had like somebody kind of keeping an eye on me. She let me sit on the like a railing area, like next to the seats. So, you know, no one's really able to look in from the lawn to the stage so much. So I'm kind of just sitting there up there the whole time or just standing next to it, leaning on it. So that's what I did for the whole show. Didn't have a seat, stood the whole time, was at least in the seating area because this lady was nice enough to, you know, observe that, hey, maybe this kid shouldn't be on the lawn by himself. And good call, lady. Thank you so much to this day. I, I never saw her at another show again. Maybe she got fired for doing something like that. I don't know. But I'm glad she did once again. So we're, we're here in the middle of 1991 guns and roses hasn't even released the use your illusion albums yet but they're already like touring for use your illusion and i'm not even kidding the st louis riots had just happened we were two weeks out from the st louis riots so all over the news all over nightly news and the news magazines mtv everywhere that axel rose incited a riot in st louis and not that he probably didn't kind of did but uh this was, after two weeks of shows being moved around, this was going to be the first show back since the St. Louis riots. They've been off for two weeks, maybe let it die down a little bit, and this was what's going to happen. Dallas was the first show they didn't postpone or cancel, and we're back on the tour. So man, the radio stations are going crazy, trying to get exclusives, like where is Axel? Is he going to show up to the show on time? This is, of course, what was going on. This is a true history, of course. And much like the uh, Kiss show prior to all this, it's just, I mean, I told you how legit this place was sold out. It's in the Fair Park area of Dallas, downtown, 
and you know it's crazy the traffic was ridiculous i'm like sweating the whole time that uh, we're gonna miss skid row because i couldn't wait to see skid row i think i actually liked skid row more than guns and roses at the time probably did actually so we're sitting there in traffic and it's just not moving i'm not mad at my mom or anything i'm just bummed out it's like man i'm probably gonna miss some of this show and then just kind of listening to the radio to get updates they're like skid row is just taking the stage i'm just like oh man and then before we even got to the venue they were off stage and so i missed skid row completely and entirely uh, opening up for guns and roses that night so very sad and you know man so but still i was gonna get to see guns and roses so this is gonna be fine so i get there and uh, like i said i told you already what happened where i where i am for the night mom's out in the station wagon i'm by the railing by the seats a really sweet hawaiian lady watching my back and but the show hasn't started yet even though i i got there and skid row had just left the stage and apparently they had gone on even prior to what the ticket said so it looks like the plan was they were going to go on early and get the hell out of there in case any shit went down because they knew the drill (laughs) so they go on early leave early and uh, this is going to be uh, at least two, two and a half, maybe even pushing three hours of waiting around with no guns and roses. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, I'm just kind of, uh, I am not bored enough at this point as a 12-year-old at his third ever concert. Just digging the songs on the PA and the whole thing. Then it starts to get a little hairy about halfway through the waiting time. Now you're starting to see early onset rioting and it starts off innocently enough i suppose uh bullshit chants things like that and now the uh, souvenir cups from the building the plastic starplex cups that everybody has their beers in and, and or sodas but of course mostly beers they're starting to get tossed around and it's a sea of cups being tossed around and i'm just in awe of this like wow this is ridiculous and I mentioned the guy that I talked to years later afterwards, and he took responsibility for this action right here that I'm going to talk about. And I got to say, I told him, man, I do believe that you prevented a riot from happening that night. He goes, yeah, probably. So what happened was the venue and this guy apparently had the wherewithal to say, hey, in-house cameras, turn on your cameras, put them on the screens right now, and then just start going through the crowd. And... Maybe he had the idea that this would happen and maybe he didn't. But it was like people, you know, like mugging for the camera, like, hey, yeah, yeah. And then people started to relax a little bit. And then they really started to, well, let's say relax as in sitting down and not throwing things. They were hooting and hollering quite a bit whenever uh, a random lady that uh, got on camera uh, was like, you know what, I'm going to take my shirt off. And of course, that garnered a lot of applause. And we get into male strip club mentality now where they're just going to sit down and just kind of ease the seat back. So they got real docile real quick. So yeah, that guy definitely saved the day that day. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that when we get back, because I've been talking long enough. Like I said, I'm going to talk a lot on this episode. I already have. But let's get to the music. I'm, I'm going to be honest, not playing Skid Row because I didn't see him that night. We'll get to them a little bit later. Uh, actually, in the show. There's a little teaser. For right now, I'm going to play you a song that really stuck out because this was the new song at the time. And Axel introduced this as, This song is a fucking bitch to sing, but we were the motherfuckers that had to be idiots and go and put it out early. I think that's pretty much the quote from what I remember. So here you go. And a live version to boot. 
So here's Guns N' Roses with You Could Be Mine.
right, there you go. That was Guns N' Roses. That was from the Live Era double live CD of uh, songs recorded all over the world, all on different tours. I made sure for prosperity's sake and because I'm, I'm a nerd that way. That is from the Use Your Illusion tour, actually. So there you go. The audio from that made sure that, you know, it, it's, it's important that I get some sort of accuracy. Hopefully it's remotely how it sounded like that night, at least for me. So there you go. You could be mine. Guns N' Roses. So if you were around during all of the user illusion summer tour controversy you're very familiar with this one shot here mtv used to love showing this and it was right around the time that they were finishing up the shows by the time they got to the stadium tour with metallica they were talking about the evolution of axel rose's temper i remember that was a big story at the time and the file footage that they loved to use from the video they had from the vaults was this image of axel running out on stage and he's wearing a white public enemy shirt with neon green lettering on it and that was the show that I saw. That was, uh, so yeah, he went out there and he was shot out of a cannon. He was an angry motherfucker. And he made a point uh, to, actually, we didn't get as many songs as the average user Illusion show. Because pretty much every song or every other song, Axel will get a bug up his ass and we were going to go to church now. It's going to be the sermons of Axel. So he did a lot of ranting and raving at that show. So I think we missed out on at least maybe four or five songs that a lot of other cities got. I know my buddy Pete LaRusso over at the I Am Vinyl podcast here on cnjradio.com definitely saw more songs at the show he saw, for sure. But yeah, it's still unforgettable show. So glad I went. And uh, yeah, but it was crazy. I felt nervous the entire time I was there, but it was like an anxious, excited, uh, scared. <laughs> and I remember like three or four songs in when they did Welcome to the Jungle, it reminded me of that scene in Lean On Me, the great Morgan Freeman movie, where uh, that, that teacher is getting hauled out on a stretcher. Don't even know if he's dead or alive or not. And I remember looking back and when Axel said, do you know where you are? And then I saw a guy get wheeled off on a stretcher at the exact same time it's pretty crazy but i loved the show it was it was something else it was like three hours long and of course you know my mom knew the show was still going on because i found out that she was actually she parked the car and she was sitting out in one of the like uh kind of picnic table areas outside the venue that people can sit out in you know either if they're waiting or just hanging out before the show or whatever but so she was out there she could kind of hear the whole thing so she probably heard every word that axel said during one of his sermons and also combined with the fact that probably every other person walking out of there is wearing a t-shirt that says get in the ring motherfucker so she wasn't very happy by the time i got back to the car <laughs> so yeah, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a fun ride home because she was just kind of, you know, I'd heard enough ranting and raving, but apparently I wasn't done yet for the night. She wasn't abusive or anything. She was just mad that she had to wait out there for, like, five fucking hours. But, hey, those are the breaks, I guess. Don't have kids if, if you don't want to go through all that. That's why I'm not having them. Okay, moving on here. Uh, the next show I got to see was uh, kind of a makeup for me not being able to see the opening act at the Guns N' Roses show back in 1991. So fast forward to March 21st, 1992 at the Fair Park Coliseum in Dallas, which is actually just across the road from the Starplex. So this is the indoor venue. It's a slightly smaller venue, but, uh, you know, it, it's a really cool building. And sadly, it doesn't get used very much anymore, except for the occasional, like, traveling art exhibits or what have you. But that was a cool freaking place. They should have done a lot more concerts and wrestling shows at this place. But yeah, Fair Park Coliseum, March 21st, 1992, like I said. And this one was going to be a doozy. 
because once again, like I said, I got to make up for not seeing a Skid Row the year before. So this is going to be a Skid Row concert. And the opening act on this tour, which is the Slave to the Grind tour, I think some of you know where I'm going with this, was uh, our local boys from Dallas, Texas, Pantigo slash Arlington, Texas, to be specific, uh, was Pantera. And this tour got a lot of ink uh, kind of just because people thought it was an odd couple pairing. Now, uh, as far as the kind of people they were and the kind of atmosphere that they provided, uh, they were like, you know, good family members. Like, they apparently got along so well, you can see it on both of their home videos from this year. But Skid Row and Pantera, slightly stylistically different, but it's still rock and roll at the end of the day, and I like to say that a lot, but... Yeah, you have like a commercial hard rock band with some punk leanings playing with a very, very heavy metal band. Uh, but it's, it makes for still one of the greatest shows I have ever seen. As far as like hard rock, heavy metal, it's probably still a top five show. It, it was something else. And this was, you know, big homecoming show for Pantera. And not that they hadn't been at home this whole time because they had just finished recording Vulgar Display of Power. And I'm talking just finished. It was probably about two or three weeks from the album even coming out. So the first time I heard anything from Vulgar Display of Power was at this show. So we they played like half the record. We were just like, man, this album's going to be a motherfucker. And uh, I didn't have the same problem as much as I did at the previous shows as far as the mom factor goes. However, she did wind up being our ride once again. And by our, I mean myself and this guy I went to junior high with. This guy named Eric Dotson. And... I remember going to the show with him, and I was we were hanging out a lot. He was a pretty good friend at the time. He was a drummer, and I played a little bit of guitar, so we would hang out and jam a little bit, and it was a lot of fun. So uh, thankfully, like uh, you know, we got together. And I'm like, we're gonna go to this show, and we went out there. Once again, mom waiting outside in the station wagon. And we get there. We sit down, man, and we drew, like, one of the most obnoxious, loud, drunk guys. <laughs> like, And uh, thankfully, we didn't notice him too much, like, during the actual sets of the bands. But uh, the PA music is definitely going to play a factor here in this show story. So... I think this might be one of the first times I ever heard this song. It was Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. And I just remember the guy. It was Obviously, he was power partying in the parking lot. So he was drunk by the time he got inside the show. And of course, he's buying more beers inside. And I'll just never, every time to this day, when I hear Hair of the Dog by Nazareth, I picture this guy waiting for the chorus. And every time, he has to stand up and pump his fist and go, The son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it does. So yeah, it's like, you know, we're waiting here and uh, Pantera comes out and they're just, you know, destroying it. I mean, they are hyped up uh, to no ends. I mean, just killing it. I mean, I, mem I remember hearing Mouth for War and fucking Hostile and, you know, of course, some great songs from the Cowboys from Hellbreaker because they were only playing songs from those two records. They were, even in the early shows here, not acknowledging their 80s output. Uh, but that's fine. No one really cared at that point. And like I said, they were just great. And I remember at the very end of their set, they're playing Cowboys from Hell. And of course, everybody's going insane. And... Uh, so, by the way, we have a side view. We're in the seats on the side of the Coliseum, so we're not down there in the pit or anything. So we've we got a good bird's-eye view of the whole thing. So not in the cheap seats, just in the side seats, and it's really cool. So, But I just remember they're playing Cowboys from Hell, and as soon as the solo finished, Sebastian Bach came out on stage, and he sang the last chorus of Cowboys from Hell with Phil, and he was on fire, man. 
because of course he hadn't been out on stage yet but he was ready to go and i remember as soon as they did the last step aside with the cowboys meal, sebastian stage dive down to the crowd was surfing out there it was crazy so the show was off to a great start i mean that's as far as like openers go like quote unquote openers it has to be one of the best openers i've ever seen i mean come on man so yeah like i said we all bought vulgar display like two weeks later one of the best metal albums of all time as we now know uh but yeah the one that really uh stuck out for me in addition to that was this song right here and i found a really cool live version of it from around the era of the time that i saw him here for the very first time one that always was just a beast live is this one right here because they would pump the strobes up so always going to remember seeing this one live for the first time this is of course pantera and primal concrete sledge this is a song of unity this is one called primal concrete sledge Yeah, I'm the- 
Joe! Right, there you go. Pantera with Primal Concrete Sledge, a live version. It's from around that, that time, 91, 92, something like that. That's uh, one of the bonus tracks on the Cowboys from Hell Deluxe Edition that came out a few years ago. I definitely recommend that. All the ones that Rhino put out there, heavily, heavily recommend those, of course. So I was mentioning the uh, Hair of the Dog guy earlier before I started that Pantera track. So the PA would actually come into play once again uh, as we're waiting for Skid Row to come out. And to this day, uh, with the exception of uh, the Won't Get Fooled Again Kiss PA intro, this is this one sticks out the most as far as the deliberate pacing of how the show is going to go. And I know for a fact that Skid Row did this every night on the PA before they came out. It's well documented in their great Roadkill VHS home video from back in the day. Man, I wish that thing... Uh, would have come out on DVD. I don't understand why it, it was never put on DVD or Oh Say Can You Scream. They were both excellent home videos. Pantera put out their three home videos, so I don't understand why the Skid Row ones never came out, and they totally should have. Shame on you, Rhino. Uh, but yeah, man, so they did this every night, and it's it's a great, easy way to pump a crowd up, and it's just so simple. What they did was, of course, what you want to do is crank up the volume on the PA so you know things are changing. So uh, the house lights are still up, so they haven't even dimmed them at all. It's just the lights, bright lights. And then they turn up the volume, and all of a sudden you just hear, Yeah! Kick it!
Yeah, there's a little bonus track there for you. I, I could not feature this song because it just has such a huge meaning for this actual show. So there you go. Fight for Right to Party, of course. The classic by the Beastie Boys from Licensedale, 1986. So they played that at full volume over the PA. And everybody in the place, including myself and Eric, stand up and just pump our fist in unison and sing every word to Fight for Your Right to Party. It was beautiful, man. It was it was a moment. And if, once again, if you saw the Roadkill video, you know the trick here. What happens is they didn't even play the whole track, and it, right before the Carrie King solo kicks in, like, da, 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 you gotta fight. And as soon as it goes, brrrr, like, shuts off, and then the lights go off at the same exact time. And man, the place went nuclear. It was just like so cool. And the spotlights and the going around all the place. And it, it's just that, you know, are you ready? You know, Skid Row, you know. And they come out and they're, they're playing Slaves of the Grind. It's just amazing. It's, they put on such an amazing show that night. Yeah, I was excited to see it. So that all, always helps. But they were in fine form. Like just, they were definitely at their peak here on this tour for sure as far as like just being in their element and they had a number one album they're touring under it was just it was a huge huge tour and i'm so glad i got to see it i'm gonna play a little bit of an obscure track as far as you know the overall conversation of skid row and they played this one that night and i even remember weirdly enough i don't know why i remember some of these things this is another reason why i'm documenting these things now so i don't forget it all but we're about halfway through the show and Sebastian introduces this song, and he says it's going to be used in the next Hellraiser movie, which would have been Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and didn't wind up getting used, at least as far as I could tell. I don't remember it being in the movie or being a featured song to help promote the movie at all. So I just remember him saying that, and then it never happening. But this is definitely one of my favorite songs off of Slaves of the Grind, which is a phenomenal record. Uh, and this one really sticks out probably because of this show. It kind of got enhanced by this, and of course getting to see the cool 3D video on the Roadkill video once again. Why isn't this out on DVD? Okay. So here you go. One of my favorite Skid Row songs here and one that I really enjoyed that night. This is Psycho Love. Face 
right there you go skid row from the 1991 number one album slave to the grind that was psycho love love that tune and it was great live that night they were just great top to bottom and yes we did get a pantera skid row jam on cold gin uh, by the end of the night i think it was like the second to last song they came out for the encore did that with pantera uh, no ace fraley like they got in jersey which would have been awesome but yeah it was still awesome and i remember sebastian even referencing uh you know the, the late great vinnie paul of course being on the drums for this jam and he said that vinnie had just punched out a guy backstage outside uh, by the bus i remember him saying don't fuck with vince <laughs> So, yeah, that's uh, another one of my memories of that. Of course, getting to see them do Cold Gin together, that was that was the most. And, yeah, then they finished with Youth Gone Wild. We had fireworks, and I guess my mom heard the booms, and that was her cue to pull up to the front and make sure to embarrass me and Eric in front of the entirety of Fair Park Coliseum, being the mom of the station wagon. But I do thank her for doing that. So, yeah, probably call this the mom era. You know, we're almost done with volume one here, but, you know... I got one more to do. I got one more song to play, of course. You've only heard nine songs tonight. And this is one of those things where the pacing of the show is weird because I am going strictly chronological. So let me, let me kind of set the uh, pace here a little bit to ask for a little bit of forgiveness here. This is going to be one of the true oddballs of my uh, concert chronology here. So, if I can explain. So... Some of you can probably relate to this. If you lived nearby a Six Flags growing up, then, you know, especially I lived really close to one, like 15 minutes away from one. And like I said, I was in junior high at this point, and that's like the place you want to go during the summer, even by the time spring hits. It's like Six Flags and Wet n Wild, which was the uh, water park right next to it. It was huge. That was the ultimate destination for any kid of that age, I don't care how hard you think you are, you were going to Six Flags and you were going to Wet n Wild at least once every month, if not every other week, for sure. So, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, I still wasn't driving, uh, but now my sister was, you know, and or I had met some people that had older siblings that could drive us to the mall and Six Flags and places like that. I was that kid, that, that kind of suburban kid. So it was like, yeah, you should get a season pass if you're going to go that much. And even my mom was like, you should get a season pass because it's going to be cheaper. So I remember getting a season pass and there was a big tie-in with like MTV. So I still remember that my Six Flags season pass had like the MTV logo on it. So I thought it was so cool, man. <laughs> so they're doing this thing where they're going to have like a concert series for like the whole spring and summer. And if it's a MTV show, then you get to get in for free with your season pass. I'm sure a lot of parks did it this way. I think after a while it was like admission plus five bucks, but I remember getting to go to the show for free. And, you know, this is right around the time I'm starting to notice girls and things like that. And I, I made friends with this girl that I had a huge crush on, but it's one of those things where she didn't really see it that way, but she still liked hanging out with me. So just a lot of you guys and gals can probably relate to this, like, you know, so we just became friends, even though I always saw it as more. Oh, she'll come around. <laughs> she never did, but uh, it's fine. It's cool. I'm, of course, totally over it. Uh, so it was somebody that I was in band with in junior high, and she was also a drummer in this whole thing. And so, you know, like I said, it was just an early crush. And, you know, it wasn't even like a, it wasn't even like a sexual thing because I was still pretty young and I wasn't really thinking about that all that much. But it was just the common interest. Like, we liked the same bands and we were doing the same thing at school. So that's really what it was for me. So I was kind of an easy sell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nice enough girl and everything. But uh, so I, you know, 
asked if she wanted to go to the show and hang out with me at Six Flags during the day. So she actually said, yeah, but, you know, the whole day it was pretty much understood that this was not a date. <laughs> so, yeah, we went to the show. Still not a date. <laughs> Left the show. Still not a date. You know, it, it's fine. It's fine. Like I said, I'm totally over it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm beating around the bush here without beating around the bush. But the show in question was dramatic pause. Richard Marks. Now, thankfully, nowadays, Richard Marks is one of those guys you're like, yeah, I follow Richard Marks on Twitter. He is absolutely awesome on Twitter. He's really funny, and he can troll, like, with the best of them. Good for Richard Marks. But at the time, this was not one I was reporting back to my friends once I either got back to school that fall or even on the phone the next day. The whole idea here was this was a show, it was going to be free, and then maybe I could get a girlfriend out of it. Now, one of those things happened. I got to go see a free show. So yeah, I am confessing right here that I saw Richard Marks in the summer of 1992 at Six Flags. I don't even have an exact date for you. It's like I said, you cannot find this listing anywhere online. I tried everywhere to no avail. I just know that it definitely happened in the summer of 92 just by seeing a few random postings of different shows he played during that summer because he was supporting that particular album. And the only reason I remember which album it was is because that's what the tapestry looked like at the show. So I can remember little things about every show that I've been to. And enough of a memory came back to where I have these two little stories to tell you about the Richard Mark set. Yes, I was pretty aware of all the singles because I had MTV and I did listen to the radio, so I knew all the hit singles. And that guy, for at least like three years, was like the man on uh, pop rock radio and MTV. He was everywhere, man. So he's on this third record called Rush Street, and it's it's definitely not happening as much. I don't remember uh, hearing him on the radio as much anymore or seeing him on MTV anymore, which is weird considering that MTV was pushing his tour, at least, I guess, in some way at the time. But I remember two things. One is, like a lot of these parks, you might know they had like a train that would like take you around the park. Like whether you're just tired of walking or you wanted to get to the other side of the park. And the train tracks actually went through the front of the amphitheater for the concert. So I remember the first time that Richard tried to address the audience. He got like two words in and then the train whistle blew right behind him at full blast. And he just like kind of broke down and started laughing. <laughs> So I remember that, you know, of course, some of the random hits here and there, but I still, I just remember randomly, and I went to listen to clips of this album that he was supporting going, I wonder if I'll recognize the opening song just by listening to the clips, and I did. So I bought the freaking thing for nostalgia reasons, and also because I don't half-ass it here on Rock Strikes 10. Yes, we are going to close with a Richard Mark song. If this offends you in any way, I do apologize, but it's my story. So here you go. To close out volume one of my concert chronology here, this is Richard Marks in a song called Playing With Fire. Let's get busy.
Man, I'm really glad that I went on the wiki during that song, and I was like, I'm going to try to find anything remotely cool to say about this and to excuse myself for playing Richard Marks here on the show. Like I said, I'm, I'm not hating on the guy. I just, you know, there's nobody that I own a full album by. But yeah, so that was Playing With Fire. That was the opening track on his 1991 album, Rush Street. And at least I found out as far as it pertains to this particular song, Richard co-wrote that song with Steve Lukather guitar player extraordinaire steve also played the solo on that track the band the rhythm section is rounded out by two of the greats honestly as far as a rhythm section goes randy jackson yes the american idol guy that guy played bass on tons of hit songs so no hating there although i do hate american idol we had randy jackson on bass of course former member of journey and on drums one of the greatest drummers of all time terry bozio zappa alum missing persons that guy is amazing. So yeah, little uh, fun facts there on that track there. So I'm assuming that's probably the heaviest song on the record for reasons such as that, but also, you know, probably for what it is, a strong album opener. I did see a credit for Richard Page on gang vocals on that track as well. Richard Page, if you didn't know, the lead singer of Mr. Mister. There you go. I never said I was cool. I've never gave you any false pretenses that I am cool in any way, but there will be some shows down the pike here in my Rock Strikes 10 concert chronology, which is, I guess, what I'm calling this thing here. Uh, there will be instances where I do seem pretty cool, and I'll be bragging about those shows on future episodes here on Rock Strikes 10. But uh, since I'm in plug mode and we're about done with this volume one, and I do appreciate you tuning into this show. If you've made it all the way through to the very end here, you are a friend of mine, and I hope you keep listening if you're a brand new listener. For everything else, I need you to stay tuned here. By the way, the next episode is going to be volume two of my concert chronology. So another long one coming up here, but I hope you're enjoying them. And uh, what else are you going to do? We're in a pandemic. We're staying home, aren't we? Okay. And uh, so, yeah, and any frontline workers, you are awesome and you have my absolute respect and love. So, yeah, let's get out of here. I'll see you on volume two coming up next. And uh, also stay tuned here for my better half, Nola, and the best outro song in the business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cat Willow an extra treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button Send us an email or direct message us for more details or to order. U.S. or APO boxes only. For now. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all of the episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, please check out our other quality shows, including The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other, The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative, The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and The I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. 
Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.